I am Brandon Whitehill, a research analyst at CII, and in this podcast, we're going to discuss one of Washington's most mysterious acronyms, CFIUS, which stands for the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. CFIUS is an interagency body led by the Department of the Treasury, charged with screening mergers and acquisitions that result in foreign control of U.S. companies and assets. The committee's mandate requires it to balance the national security implications of foreign ownership with maintaining an open investment climate. If national security concerns arise, CFIUS is empowered to alter or, subject to presidential approval, altogether block or unwind any transaction, an option most recently exercised with President Trump's March 12th order prohibiting Broadcom's attempted hostile takeover of Qualcomm. Legislation to reform and strengthen CFIUS is quickly advancing through Congress, which will carry broad implications for cross-border M&A, joint ventures, venture capital and hedge funds, and other types of investment. To elucidate CFIUS's role at the intersection of cross-border investment and national security, I am joined today by Clay Lowry, a managing director at Rock Creek Global Advisors and former assistant secretary for international affairs at the U.S. Department of the Treasury from 2005 to 2009, during which time he chaired CFIUS. So thank you, Clay, for joining us today. To begin, what should investors, whether institutional or otherwise, with portfolio holdings in public companies or Silicon Valley startups, what should they know about CFIUS and its review process, and do they play any role in that process? Uh, let's first talk about current CFIUS, because as you know, there's a reform bill to change it. But uh, the way that CFIUS currently works is that if there is a acquisition, cross-border acquisition into the United States from abroad, um, uh, and whether they're buying a U.S. company or a U.S. business, so it could be a, a foreign company that has U.S. business interests in the United States, um, and it is related to national security, then it is supposed to go through a CFIUS process. Um, so just like uh, an M&A transaction will need to usually get antitrust review, there are times where you need to get a CFIUS review um, when it is related to uh, national security, as I mentioned before. Um, and that process, um, it's close to a regulatory process, but it's slightly different. But uh, if you do not go through it and CFIUS finds out and comes back, it has the power to unwind that transaction. So there's a, there's a very strong incentive to go through the process. And then let's get into the changes that you mentioned that are coming. So Congress is considering legislation, the Foreign Investment Risk Review Modernization Act, or FIRMA, to update CFIUS for the first time in a decade. You were there at Treasury last time it was updated by statute, and you've testified before Congress on this bill. So can you describe some of the big changes that FIRMA makes, um, the process that CFIUS will undergo to implement those changes, and sort of uh, give us a little view of how that might impact M&A activity uh, cross-border in the coming years? So let me break that down into a few different parts. Uh, the first part is to make sure to understand current CFIUS is basically, again, it's a cross-border direct investment into the United States. The first and most important test, well, not most important, but the first test is whether or not the acquirer gets control over that investment. And, that, and control is defined by a number of criteria. There's no bright line test. The reason I say all that is, so that's kind of the first test. But in the new bill, that test will be, be or that bar will be lowered. 
So instead of having to get control, the foreign investor, if they buy into either a critical technology company or a critical infrastructure company, which will be defined in, in regulations, and it is not a purely a passive investment, but you may not actually get control. Uh, so in other words, you could get, let's just say, easy to understand, is like you have a 4% equity stake in a company that is a critical technology company, and you get some access rights that you would not get if you were just a purely passive investor. Uh, so access to technology, ac uh, a board seat, but you don't have control, you don't have operational control. That would now have to go through CFIUS. That used to not be the case. A different, a different addition uh, or reform, I guess, is CFIUS right now, or uh, in the new bill, if there is a transaction in which you are buying real estate, and that real estate happens to be near a secure facility or a sensitive facility, such as a military base, um, then that may have to go through CFIUS. Now, why that's different is because currently you have to buy an existing business, so it would be essentially a brownfield investment. This provision would make it so that greenfield in the, uh, investments, where all you're essentially doing is buying property, I mean buying land, would ha or leasing land, uh, could take place in, if it's near a national security sensitive site, then that also would need to go through CFIUS. And then so the third part of your question was how does this affect uh, the M&A activity. So I think in uh, two ways. One is obviously these new provisions will have to be uh, thought about by M&A or uh, uh, attorneys and the businesses that are involved as well as probably their bankers. Um, but it does get into areas that have never been covered before, such as the real estate transactions. It also get in, gets into a different area, which is not a really a merger or an acquisition, it's just an investment. Um, and that's going to be an area that is untested. And so because of that, CFIUS is going to have to figure that one out. Uh, the second part is there's no question that the caseload that CFIUS has to deal with is right now they handle roughly about 200 transactions a year. Um, this is going to increase significantly with both the real estate provision and the non-passive, non-controlling investment provision into critical technology and critical infrastructure companies. So uh, one would think, at least, unless the, uh, the government does a major job of staffing up and doing a sound job on getting its resources right, it's going to probably slow down the regulatory process. Um, and that, uh, a fourth point, which is kind of related to your question, after the law passes, if it passes, um, then the government, uh, led by the Treasury Department, will have to go through a rulemaking process. That rulemaking process will define more clearly some of the concepts that are in the law. Uh, that will be, uh, that will, there will be a notice and comment period, and that should take, I, it's a guesswork, but I would guess at least a year and a half to two years to do. So implementation of this new bill may not happen still for a couple of years in full. Uh, while they're trying to get some of these uh, processes correct. Okay, and that is an important point, yeah, because the bill does leave some sort of vague, undefined concepts to be defined by CFIUS regulations, so that's good to keep in mind, too.
Uh, one provision that was scrapped from the original draft of FIRMA extended CFIUS review to the outbound joint ventures of U.S. companies dealing with certain critical technologies and infrastructure, as you brought up before. Uh, in its place now, after some business groups and you yourself raised some concern about that, uh, is now an enhanced export control regime. So can you comment a little bit about that and how that might affect the overseas operations or partnerships or business structures of our big tech companies like our Googles and so forth uh, overseas? Sure. So uh, this provision um, was something that obviously a number of uh, the, some people in the Defense Department and people probably uh, in national security circles thought would be important, which was to basically say that if a company that is a critical technology company does a joint venture overseas, then that also should go through CFIUS. Now, just for simplicity's sake, CFIUS stands for the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. If this provision had survived, there, there would, we're not talking about a merger, we're not talking about an acquisition, and we're not talking about foreign direct investment in the United States. In other words, the foreign, this Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States would be a misnomer. Instead, it would have been an extraterritorial look at uh, transactions that are happening around the world. Um, and so I think in the end, uh, Congress uh, decided that this didn't really make sense. This is not what CFIUS was set up to do. Instead, if our concern is about some technology being uh, sent to countries that we don't want it to be sent to, that shouldn't be handled through CFIUS, it should be handled through the export control regime, which is actually, uh, that is the responsibility of the export control regime, which uh, one of its key underpinnings is that you can multilateralize it. So basically, uh, if there is a concern with a specific technology, it may not just be the United States that produces that technology. It may be a German company or a Japanese company that also produces that technology that's competing. And so if that technology you don't want to get into the hands of a specific country, uh, the bill per se is for China, then you want to prevent any of that technology from going to China. That would not be helped by CFIUS. It does get helped by an export control regime that has that looks more carefully at emerging and found, uh, fundamental technologies that maybe hasn't been overlooked in the past. So I think that that's been a major change from the early ver earlier versions of the bill. And now, instead, the export control regime um, is going to be directed to do more than it used to do in the past. Okay. I stop there. So are you satisfied now by that change? Do you think it strikes the right balance between the concerns of the national security folks and those who worry that this might have a chilling effect on foreign investment in the United States? I think it's a much, much better provision, and the bill has become a much more easier-to-implement bill. Um, whether or not it gets the balance right, I think is going to be a hard call. It, it certainly would not have gotten the balance right um, before. In fact, my argument is that it probably would have harmed national security mm -hmm. um, and chilled foreign investment uh, significantly. I think right now it's probably in a position where it should get the balance right. We will only see over time as to whether or not uh, how how much is the United States actually welcoming foreign investment? Okay. So in many of these high-profile CFIUS cases, the one that make headlines, 
uh, including both successful transactions that get approval and those that fail, they involve public U.S. companies as the acquisition target. So based on your experience, can you talk a little bit about when and to what extent public companies disclose the initiation and progress of CFIUS reviews to their shareholders and to the SEC, say? Uh, and are there established norms on how they do that, or is it pretty much up to the given company? So um, I'm going to give you a partial answer, but not a full answer. The reason I'm not going to give a full answer is I'm not a securities lawyer. Right. I'm, not, I'm not even a lawyer. Um, and a secure, uh, this really does get into securities law. Um, uh, the, my experience over time is this has changed. So when I first started looking at CFIUS, um, very rarely, only on some pretty big occasions, did companies even disclose that they are going through CFIUS. In later years, um, more recently, you've seen that happen more and more, and partially that's because I assume that CFIUS has become a much more material decision point for investors than had otherwise been the case in the past. Um, uh, but do I, can I say that it happens in all the time? In every case, I, I cannot, because I don't know that. Um, but it has, I think it's the frequency has increased uh, significantly from where, uh, from like, let's say from 10 years ago. Okay. So now to ask a question about a specific case that might tease out what CFIUS is looking for in certain contexts. Uh, in December, the proposed acquisition of a small private New Jersey tech company, Nest Technologies, by now well-known Chinese conglomerate HNA Group fell through on account of a failed CFIUS review. Nest then sued HNA for $65 million in damages, claiming that HNA, quote, uh, quote, covertly works to evade and frustrate CFIUS's ability to investigate and review the transaction by providing demonstrably and knowingly false and consistent and misleading information to CFIUS. The lawsuit claims that CFIUS was preoccupied and ultimately unsatisfied with concerns about HNA's ownership and control structure, its source of funding, ties to the Chinese Communist Party, and its motivation for the deal that the committee considered, quote, core to the issues of CFIUS review. In your own experience, how closely does CFIUS scrutinize the shareholding structure and corporate governance of a foreign entity apart from the substance or the technology in question in the transaction? And how should that play into U.S. companies' due diligence procedures when they pick which companies to allow uh, to acquire them? In terms of uh, what does CFIUS look at, CFIUS, of course, is going to look at, there's a, I mean, the regulations that CFIUS has, and the regulations are roughly 50 to 100 pages long, provides um, detailed information about what CFIUS is interested in looking at and gets into, very clearly gets into shareholder information, um, sometimes even into the personal information of key owners in a company, um, as well as all sorts of corporate information, whether it is a private equity firm, uh, a publicly traded company, or, you know, a family business. Um, so uh, it it's, I don't, I, I, as I said, I don't know anything about that specific transaction, but I think that uh, it would be unusual for CFIUS not to look very, very carefully into all sorts of parts of uh, the, the acquirer, as well as, by the way, the acquired, or what's the target company. In terms of the due diligence, look, that's always hard to, 
uh, no, I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to be a banker or a lawyer, uh, and that's part of what they get paid to do. Um, but um, the due diligence is, for Scythius, is not about the, uh, whether or not someone has the financial wherewithal to make a purchase. Uh, or what they're buying um, is, uh, you know, uh, uh, what does the balance sheet or income statement look like? Instead, um, what CFIUS is trying to do is they're trying to figure out, is the buyer a threat to the United States? So they are looking at what is its relationship to the government uh, that it, uh, that it, where it's headquartered? Um, is that government have problems with the United States, is, a, uh, is creating concerns, follows export control laws that we believe in, um, et cetera. Then they're looking at the vulnerability of the company, and I don't mean financial vulnerability, I mean the vulnerability of what is it that this company or this business that happens to be in the United States is producing or the service that they're producing. Is, does it create vulnerabilities for the national security of the United States? Um, and then from that, they're looking at, so they're taking the threats and then the, the vulnerabilities of the target and trying to figure out are there consequences to national security. And often the, the, the cases, there are not. I mean, there are, uh, there are well over a thousand cross-border mergers and acquisitions that happen in the United States every year. You know, earlier I had said there is roughly about 200 of them go through CFIA. So let's just... Uh, say that it's somewhere between 20, 10 and 20 percent of those 200 transactions that go through CFIUS, probably over a little more around 50 of them create problems or concerns that are significant. And then of those, a, a smaller subset creates really, really tough, difficult issues that need to either be mitigated or if or potentially even blocked, but it's very it's a very small percentage. So that's kind of the due diligence that CFIUS does is very different than what a banker would do. Um, but that's why you know uh, CFIUS has tried to put out guidelines and regulations to say these are the things that we're concerned about and we're going to look at very carefully. Um, so I guess that's the way I would think about it if I was in a, a company's perspective, is I would go and read the regulations pretty carefully. Okay, that's helpful. And so sort of uh, broadening that, if you're the board or management of a company, and as it appeared what happened in this case, you're working with an acquirer and you're the target, and you're not really getting a, a clear answer as to who their shareholders are or where they're getting their money from, that probably presents some red flags if your transaction is going to be subject to CFIUS review, yeah? Well... Um, I'm not sure if it produces a red flag, but it probably produces a, a yellow one. And you should, I mean, the thing to th remember is that CFIUS is going to continuously ask that question until they get an answer. Right. And if they are not satisfied with that answer, that's going to raise concern. And that's something that's very important to keep in mind is that the U.S. government has to build something based on trust. And if they don't trust a company, that makes everything much more difficult. So. Uh, if a company cannot be forthright to the acquired, the acquired, and then they cannot be forthright to, to the government, that could create a big problem if there's national security at risk at stake. Okay, that's definitely an important point, yeah. And so one last, uh, one last question here, a point that I've heard raised a little bit more and more recently 
is that some speculate that under firma, these changes to the CFIUS process, uh, it could have possibly unintended consequences regarding the general limited partnership model that pooled investment vehicles like hedge funds use. Since the bill extends CFIUS review to certain minority positions, like you said in the beginning, in, say, startups, it's conceivable that funds might have to disclose all of their LPs to CFIUS to satisfy inquiries about foreign investor participation. So do you see that as a consequence, and could that have broader implications for the hedge fund and VC industries? So, um, I, and uh, there is a provision in the bill that tries to exclude uh, limited partners from uh, limited partners in private equity firms from from parts of the CFIUS process on the grounds that they are not the ones that are controlling what's happening, or, or that even have greater access to you know technology or processes. Um, it is now. I think that uh, what it does mean is, could there be more disclosure to CFIUS of some of the Limited partners. The, the answer is probably yes. Although, frankly, right now, my guess is if CFIUS said, if you if a private equity company overseas was buying a a critical U.S. business or a national security business, and it was going through CFIUS, CFIUS would probably ask about the limited partners anyway. And if there's one that gave them concern, they might ask even deeper questions. Um, uh, the the bigger point is that um, they they would just I mean. I think they would keep it somewhat limited, and as I mentioned, there is a carve-out within the, uh, the new CFIUS bill for limited partnerships, which would need to be read carefully by private equities attorneys. Gotcha. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Clay, for taking the time to answer a few questions from the uh, sort of investor perspective about what to uh, look for in the coming CFIUS changes. We appreciate it. Absolutely, and uh, I'm, you know, if you need more, 